First Peter chapter one verse one to nine. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, the God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Through now, forty-two while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perish even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you loved him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with the inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank you, Esuk, for reading um, that passage of scripture for us. Thank you very much. Well, let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's given for our growth. It's given to reveal yourself to us. And, O oh Lord, I pray this morning that you would take this word and speak to our hearts. That you forgive me all my sins. And thank you for the privilege and honor of preaching and proclaiming this word to your precious people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, this morning uh, we are commencing a series of messages based on 1 Peter. It will be an exciting book for us to work through, some challenging aspects in the book as well, but our plan is to work through uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 at our morning services. We may take a few breaks here and there with uh, visiting preachers coming along the way. By the way, we have the moderator of the Presbyterian Church coming in a couple of weeks' time. We are the principal of the PTC, hopefully here in October, and another visiting preacher from Africa uh, will be with us in October as well. Well, for today, we're going to look at this, uh, at 1 Peter chapter, um, chapter 1, the text that's before us this morning, will be verses 1 to 3. And the message that I want to share with you this morning is hope for your life. Hope. Well, what in the world is this word hope? Is it really that essential for living? We really need hope for living. The Webster uh, Dictionary defines hope as in the following to desire with expectation of fulfillment, 
to desire with expectation of fulfillment. Therefore, to hope is to anticipate, to look forward to something. It is to anticipate something better. It is to anticipate some kind of a fulfillment in life. For example, those who are studying, you're working very hard in year 12, maybe you're doing year 11 uh, this year, and you're doing year 12 subjects. You're working at school, you're doing those assignments, you're reading those books, and your parents are saying, study, 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 and you're saying, no, no, no. I'm not saying you're saying no. <laughs> um, right? And uh, we have this, and so, so you're studying, and why do you study? Well, obviously, you want to get knowledge. And, and what is that going to lead you to? You're hoping to get a job, I would suspect, right? You're hoping to get to choose your career path. You want to be a nurse, maybe a doctor, maybe an engineer, or accountant, whatever. Right? So you're doing these things because you're hoping that by the end of your study, in year 12, and you go into uni, or maybe a TAFE college, or somewhere else, you're hoping to uh, achieve uh, the goals that you set for yourself, and so you live in hope. There's an anticipation of something that is going to be fulfilled. Uh, those, like we heard this morning, uh, uh, Steve and Lena, you know, in the providence of God, they, he met Lena in, uh, in Singapore, a nice place there, uh, fell in love there, and uh, the hope of that relationship was that they would get married. Right? When couples fall in love with one another, the hope is sometime down the track, they will get married. So you look forward to things in life, don't we? Uh, we look forward to better things, perhaps, in life. So this word hope is to anticipate. It is possessing within ourselves an expectation that someday there will be the fulfillment of that desire in your life. That desire that you have will one day achieve fulfillment. So you live in hope that it will become a reality, that the dream you have will be real. So hope, in that sense, always looks to the future. It is something that keeps us really going. All right. When someone is sick in hospital, uh, they, uh, when they are lying there in that bed, in that, sick, in that sick circumstance, they are hoping, they are hoping that they'll be able to get out of that hospital and be well one day. You live in anticipation. It's looking. It makes, like someone said, it makes a dismal day bearable because it promises a brighter tomorrow. It makes a dismal day bearable because it promises a brighter day tomorrow. And so without hope, we can easily give up, can't we? We can easily give up and get into despair. We can get into discouragement. And we can get into depression, which is, by the way, a major issue that is confronting our nation as well, depression, the unspoken sickness of our society, because there's apparently, if you're depressed, there's a stigma attached to it, which is wrong, it should not be the case, and leads us to depression. So, and people who are in, that, in those kind of circumstances, we need to give them a message of hope. So hope is more than dreaming. And so we can perhaps uh, live several weeks without food, perhaps, without uh, water, and uh, uh, the only thing we need is perhaps hope that keeps us going in life. Uh, this guy by the name of, uh, of Tim Keller, most of you read his books, uh, is a good source to, to quote, you and I are unavoidably and irre irreducibly, oh, I got that right, hope-based creatures, right? 
We are controlled how we live now by what we think will happen later. Christian hope has to do with the ultimate future, not the immediate. That's the Christian hope. It has to do with the ultimate future and not just the immediate. So the text for this morning, we're going to just look at three verses this morning, which is uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 to 3, and it's out there. I'm not going to read the whole passage here. Uh, we have it on, on PowerPoint this morning. So the letter begins with Peter. Peter identifying himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle, the word apostle means somebody who has been sent. Somebody who has been sent out. It comes from two words, apostolos and sent out. It comes, the word means being commissioned, being sent out. And it is an apostle, is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now there are some people who might question perhaps the authorship of this letter by Peter. But let me say this. The letter begins clearly with the words Peter and Apostle. The testimony of the early church is unanimous. It's unanimous that Peter was the author. There are people like Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Eusebius, the great historian, just to name a few of these guys, agree that Peter is the author. I'm giving you some background here. The internal testimony of the book testifies of Peter's style of writing. The external testimony confirms the author as Peter. And this guy Peter, as we know, was a fisherman, right? He was an ordinary fisherman. He was out there. His name simply means rock or stone. He was bold. He was outspoken. He was rugged. He was always ready for a fight. Remember one day, Simon Peter, who had a sword? Remember the whole story in John chapter 18? He drew out his sword and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. This is Peter, right? When Jesus was about to be arrested. This guy, Peter, he denied Jesus three times. Peter is restored by Christ. Uh, I think John MacArthur says that this guy, Peter, has got a mouth, a foot and mouth kind of disease. He speaks out of turn. He's out there. Is bombastic, sometimes arrogant, and has to be corrected by Jesus. And one of the major issues that Peter addresses in this letter is that of suffering. So we'll look at suffering later on in this, in this letter as well. And how do you endure suffering? Your suffering that brings so much pain, inner pain, inner turmoil, the suffering that we see in the world around us. How do we endure such suffering. How do we endure persecution? You and I may not endure persecution uh, to the extent that our brothers and sisters in Christ in, in, in uh, the Middle East are experiencing even right now. Right? So it's, it's, a, it's an amazing, it's, it's a very encouraging letter. And I hope you're going to be, we're going to learn from this word. I want to encourage you to read 1 Peter so that when the messages are preached, you know what is going on in the text as well. So Peter addresses his readers as God's elect. He says that they are the exiles of the dispersion. They are those scattered throughout the five districts, the Jewish and Gentile Christians scattered after the death of the first Christian martyr Stephen. You know what happened? When Stephen was stoned to death, the church began to scatter. And with the church scattering, what happened was the gospel also got scattered. And through that, God was doing a work in drawing many people unto himself. So this word elect, the word here for elect comes uh, 
from uh, those who are in Greek uh, would know that. Uh, eklektos, I'm not uh, bragging my Greek here, but I'm just saying it. It essentially means to be chosen. It means to be called. That's what it is. And Peter will use this word again in, uh, in this book. We will look at that. You see, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by, uh, by men, but chosen by God. Chosen by God and precious to him. Did you know that? You're precious to him. Think about that. Right? Um, then we go to, again, Peter says this, For in scripture it says, I See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. So again, we have this word chosen that is mentioned. And again, we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen people. We've memorized this passage, right? Uh, we memorized this as a memory text in our church. So you should know it. Right? Uh, chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, and so forth. So we have this word chosen. It means that God has chosen a people unto himself out of the entire human race. Right? The passage we read this morning from Ezekiel chapter 16. You must have been wondering, what on earth is that passage? Right? It talks about jewelry and this and that and everything else and beauty. It is speaking essentially of God choosing this nation, Israel, out of nothing and making it beautiful. And it becomes a great nation to all the nations in the world, symbolizing how God calls a people unto themselves out of nothing, basically, and makes them beautiful unto himself. To be a people in this world, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. I'll come to that when we come to in 1 Peter chapter 2. I don't want to preempt and jump the text here this morning. So it means that God has chosen a people unto himself. Now we see this, for example, in the following passages, right? Uh, we see it uh, in this, for many are called... But few are chosen. Again, Matthew, he will, uh, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect, his elect from the four winds. And from, and from, one, sorry, from one end of heaven to the other. Right? And then we have the other text as well that confirms that. And, he will not, and, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, Will he delay long over them? And then the other passage. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. So what Peter is doing here is assuring, assuring the dispersed readers of of God's people, reminding them of God's electing love for them. This is so comforting, right? And then in three separate clauses, Peter goes on to explain the source and how this all takes place. Let me point out to you this morning. What we see here is, friends, the Trinity at work. I'd like us to see see this this morning. It is the Holy Trinity at work. It's the foreknowledge of the Father, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and the work of the Son, obedience to Jesus Christ. We're going to expand on that. Uh, in a moment. So in these three clauses, we're reminded that the Trinity, that is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are behind all of this work in calling a people unto himself, 
through the sprinkling of the blood, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Right? It's a powerful stuff here. So what does this word foreknowledge of the Father essentially mean? Perhaps it's a question that you are asking this morning. And now there are those who say that God looked down, I'll say this. It's very important of teaching you, right? There are those who say that God looked down the corridors of time and saw who would believe in Jesus and those who would not. And then he chose all those who he knew would believe and gave them the ability to believe. That's one view. I don't think we should see it this way. You know why? Because it then makes man, when I say man, the generic term includes women as well, the ultimate person responsible for salvation. It becomes man-centered and not God-centered. You know, our memory text for this month tells us that this is not the case. This is, this is love. Not that we love God, but, but He loved us. See that? And sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We did not love God. You know, the Bible tells us we cannot because there's a text that tells us that we are enemies of God. We are against Him. And we know that, don't we? We live in a society that is anti-God. If you're following some of the politics, uh, international politics, uh, recently the past convention said uh, that in the U.S., the Democratic uh, Convention uh, last week, if you've been following that, you would have noticed that there was a massive debate on the floor of the, of the convention whether to insert the word God as part of their manifesto for the, next, for the presidential election. And half of the people were basically booing that word to be included. What? Somehow it got through. So we, we are living in a world that is so anti in that sense. Right? And we ought not to be surprised about this. But God does something. This foreknowledge. Let me define it well. Let John MacArthur define it, not me. <laughs> He's better than me, so he can define it. Therefore, foreknowledge involves God's predetermining to have a relationship with some individuals based on his eternal plan. It is the divine purpose that brings salvation for sinners to fulfillment as accomplished by Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Not merely an advanced knowledge that observes how people will respond to God's offer of redemption. It is therefore God choosing them from eternity to receive salvation. That is something that we have in the scriptures. For example, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Again, Revelation, talking about the beast. I haven't put that word there in the front there, but Revelation 13. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. That is the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life and of the Lamb that was slain. You see, the book of life, the foundations of the world. So God has done something, friends, that is absolutely amazing. It is our mystery sometimes to explain it because we might sit and think, well, is God being unfair? Is God being just? All those issues. I don't want to address it all this morning here. But God has called a people unto himself. And that is what Peter is saying here. Why has he done it? Because of his grace. Why has he touched you this morning? Why? 
Because you're so good? No. We heard that this morning in the testimony. Because you're so great looking? Oh my goodness me, without me the kingdom of God will stop. God must be so grateful that I am here. Mr. Me and Mrs. Me and Miss Me and whatever. Because without it the kingdom won't go. No, 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 no. God has done his grace and he has called us in his grace. He has called us in his sovereign plan. How it works out, it's an amazing mystery. It's, and yet God's word tells us that he doesn't desire anyone to perish. That I must say that as well. God's desire is that none should perish, but must come to repentance. So, it's not our responsibility to go and say, whether oh, you're elected, you're not, you're chosen or not. We would be not doing any missions then, wouldn't we? No, we wouldn't. That's, that's a hyper view, right? That's a, that's, that's a false view. That's not a biblical view. A biblical view is that God's desire is for many to come to know his son. His desire is that no one should perish. And the invitation is out to the whole world. And to those who respond in faith by his spirit are his people. <laughs> what a blessing that is. Right. And then we have the sanctifying work of the Spirit. This word sanctify means to be separated, to be consecrated, to be holy. The Holy Spirit does this amazing work where he applies the work of Christ to our lives and seals that work until Christ returns. A seal of salvation for eternity. Ephesians chapter 1. 3, Paul, Peter says, For obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood. Now friends, we're going to spend an hour here on this topic of the sprinkling of the blood. We're not going to do that this morning, right? Peter uses a very interesting image, the sprinkling by his blood. This takes us back to the Old Testament. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest took the blood of the Lamb, sacrificed to the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat for the sins of the people. And the sprinkling of the blood was a symbol of the covering of our sins. Now get this. And the symbolism on the Day of Atonement pointed to something that was to take place years down the track. And what was that? That is the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood was not sprinkled, but his blood was poured out. You see, that is the gospel. You may not remember anything else in this sermon this morning. But hold that thought in your heart this morning for a moment. That the atonement of the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus, that his blood was not sprinkled, but was poured on the cross for your sins and for mine. What a blessing. And we are called to obey, isn't it? And when we fail to obey God, confess our sin, the blood of Christ atoned for on the cross, will forgive us. We don't always obey God perfectly, do we? (laughs) Right? We don't love God the way we should do. We know that. But when we fail, we know that the blood of Christ will forgive us all our sins. We are a forgiven people, friends. So Peter says this. He says, um, keep moving on, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. You see, Peter begins this section, that is verse 3, with this word praise uh, to the Father, to, to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why praise? Why? Why do we sing praises here this morning? Why? 
When is the last time you sat down and actually praised? Where well, we heard this morning. I said I had nothing to say. We had a response. Praise the Lord. <laughs> when is the last time we actually sat down and praised the Lord? You got onto your knees and just locked the room door and you raised your hands and said, God, I just want to praise you for who you are. Oh boy, I think sometimes we have lost this thing called praise, haven't we? We've lost the praise concept, perhaps. We can be so inward focused. That when I say we, I'm including myself as well. All right, so inward focused, and we forget to look out and to give praise to God for everything that He has done. When is the last time, my dear friends, you go and say, Praise the Lord? You know, I was, um, I talked too much about the footy this past week. Yesterday was a bad day for some of us. Terrible, terrible. Anyway. I put the TV off. You know, I don't like to see a team losing my team. <laughs> anyway. But but you know, Friday night, I think it was Friday night. It was a bad weather, right? It was pouring down weather. It was a big match in the G. I was sitting there watching my TV and thinking, "Wow, these people—they are with their raincoats, they're with their caps. Kids are on their shoulders. Why are they walking? They're walking to the mecca of sport. What drives them there?" Sport. They sing the song, praise the song, they sing all these great songs. What drives us Christians? I was thinking to myself, when will we have people lighting up the streets, sun or rain, wanting to come to a church? Yeah, can you see that? What is it, friends? You know, we have a song of praise to sing to our God, don't we? Sing it out. Praise the Lord. Praise him for all that he has done. For the Lord is good. His grace is good. His grace is sufficient. Praise, Peter says. Praise God. Peter begins with his praise for his great mercy. That's the motive. That's the motive that God has. His great mercy that he has given us a new birth. You see, there is great mercy. Divine mercy takes a sinner from misery to glory. A changed condition. Mercy concerns the individual's miserable condition. John MacArthur makes mention of that. And he talks about a new birth. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Praise be to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he has given us a new birth. You see, God has done this new birth. He has caused us to be born again. Last week I touched on that briefly. And I don't plan to go into that this morning. You see, with the story with Nicodemus, Jesus says, you must be born again. See, you can't have a membership in the church and not be a born-again believer. <laughs> We've done it in the past, perhaps. We have long membership roles, but not believers. Friends, to be born again is what Paul Peter says here. I, I want to mention this. To be born again spiritually, we are not the active agents in the birth process. God and he alone is the active agent. He is the one who brings about that transformation. And then Peter goes on, and I'm moving on for the purpose of time here this morning. Now Peter goes on to show us how this has been made possible. That is that the Holy Spirit applies the finished work of Jesus at the cross that makes this possible, and he has done something, and hence he has given us something that is absolutely great. And you know what that is? He has given us praise be to God for the things that he has done, 
that he has given us, new birth into a dead hope. <laughs> You're with me, right? Is that what the text is saying? No, no, what is saying, friends? He's given us hope into a, a living hope. Wow. That's what it is. You see, the gospel is about life. Jesus is about life. Because of his great mercy, he spared his wrath, he's given us a living hope. And when we speak of hope from the Bible's perspective, it is one of certainty. Right? This is what now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It is sure, it is certain of what we hope for. The gospel of hope is life-changing. There is certainty about the present and the future. It is being certain about the future in a way that affects my living now. Right? This morning, I meet this man regularly. This morning, something amazing. Okay. I met this guy. He sees me on the road. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm well. Actually, it's a few houses from where Jean lives. I was walking this morning. And, and then he said this to me. He said, I've had a bad week. I said, what's going on? My father has been diagnosed with cancer and he's dying. I lost my mother a few months ago. Now, I'm sitting there thinking, man, how, how am I going to talk to this guy about the gospel? I'm thinking about this message this morning. I'm going to preach to you on hope. <laughs> he was my first person on the street. So I said to him, yeah, you know, what about hope? You know, is talk about some kind of hope that we can look forward to in the future. And lo and behold, this guy said to me, I'm a Christian. <laughs> and he started sharing the gospel with me. <laughs> and <laughs> then I said, by the way, I'm a Christian as well. Oh, we have this wonderful hope, don't we? Never did I know. I met this man for the past few months that he was a believer. I came home thinking, wow, Lord, that's amazing. He shared the gospel with me. When I should have been the guy, we were talking about hope. You see, this is hope. This is certainty. It is a hope that is ours in the midst of pain. It's the hope that is ours in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of poverty, in the midst of despair, in the midst of tears. And we cry, don't we? We cry. It is a hope that moves us in the midst of pain to hold on to a precious Savior who is the living hope. That's what it is. This is a hope that is grounded in reality. It is a hope that is wrapped in a person, a person who left the splendor of heaven and who came as a helpless babe to a hopeless world to bring hope and certainty to a living, to a dying, sorry, to a dying world of despair and despondency. So my friends this morning, how about you? You see, when you're born into the family of God, you have a living hope. Do you? Do you this morning? You see, Peter says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow, this is why Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Peter, Peter, I'm not going to get into all of this, but Peter, I have some slides here, so I might put that up, right? I'm not going to read it. John chapter 20, 1 to 3, you can go home and read that passage again. And John chapter, the next one is John chapter 24 to 9. You know, Simon Peter, this is the guy, 
he ran to the tomb, what happened? He saw everything was wrapped up there. See what he says, Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went in the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, and as, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. Peter has seen the risen Jesus, not here in this text, but later on. And his life, from a state of hopelessness, came to one of full hope. From a state of being despondent that Jesus has died, has now been a man on fire for Christ. A man who was lost as a fisherman has been found. Because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's the hope. You see, the author to the book of Hebrews says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary. It's an anchor. Where are you anchored today, friends? <laughs> are you anchored on Jesus? Hope you are. And friends, as I close this morning, it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes there are lots of notes here. Just move on. We'll be staying here for a couple hours otherwise. I just want to give you some ideas here about what the six implications of living hope very quickly. Your identity now is in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3. Death, second one, death is now conquered. This resurrection means death is defeated. Eternal life is yours. When you die one day, unless Christ comes before that, if you're a Christian, your hope is in Christ. You have eternal life in the Father's house. Okay? Third thing, there's authority for missions. Because Christ has risen. Fourth, there is comfort. I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. The living hope. Five, Hope for real living, that is living with meaning and purpose. When you have Christ, it gives you meaning and purpose in your life. Six, hope to face temptations, not in your own strength, but in the power of God. No wonder Peter says, a praise point to this God for all that he has done. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into a living And next week, I'm going to expand on that, what this living hope really is. So read about that for next Sunday. I hope, friends, this morning, shouldn't be saying, I hope, (laughs) I trust this morning that your hope will be on Christ, the solid rock. And may the Lord bless you abundantly, and may you experience the power of the risen Christ in an amazing way. Amen. Father, thank you. That we are hope. We don't live like hopeless people in this fallen world. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I pray this morning that you make us understand that hope in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships. That we be great husbands to our wives, great wives to our husbands, great parents to our children, grandparents, whatever, Lord. As single people, young people, that we cling to this living hope that is built on facts, on the person of Jesus. Would you bless us this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.